1: And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. This is the first episode of season two. Yes, some people seem to have forgotten I said I was taking a break at the end of the last episode, and I actually was rather touched or thrilled that during my six, however many weeks it was, holiday break that people contacted me and said, hey, I've noticed the show hasn't had any new episodes and, and all that. So, you know, hey. Thank you guys for wanting more shows because that just shows me that I'm doing the right thing. I would suggest, hey, go ahead and use that excitement that you've had waiting for new episodes to, yes, right now at the front, top of the show, while you're listening, whether you're on your phone, at a desktop or whatever, stop what you're doing other than listening, keep listening, to go to iTunes. Go to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes and go give it a rating or a review. It doesn't even have to be five-star, although those are preferred. Give it whatever rating you'd like to give it because it would be awesome at the front end of this new season two for there to be a new, a new flood of ratings and reviews in there to show appreciation of the show. I'm already feeling the appreciation. Now you can show me. Anyway, just a little front note right up there for, for all you people. Uh, this week, I get to bring to you Augusto Panad. He is an author who he used to be in sales. He traveled all over, did a bunch of sales stuff. Then he moved into being an actual writer and an author and wrote 25 Tips for Productivity, which is a great book and you'll find that in the show notes, as well as a new book which is particularly interesting to me called No. And this whole concept of no, we touch on what no is, how the different what the different types of no are as well as you know, the, the, just how does that apply to productivity? You'd be like, well, how does the word no apply to productivity? You'd be surprised unless you already know, and that's the other spelling of the word no, and, and I'm trying not to be funny. But anyways, let's talk with Augusto. This week, I have an interview with Augusto Pinnad, and I hope I just pronounced that right. We even went over that previously. Is that right?
2: You did it right.
1: Awesome. I I knew I'd get it. Uh, And he is a writer and I'm going to even say an author because I think maybe there's a little bit of a difference between that. I think maybe an author is when you've published something like a book or something. So anyway, he is here to talk not only about something that uh, I've read and and love, which is called 25 Tips for Productivity, but also another new book and even some of his experience with uh, his publishing and productivity. So – let's talk about this 25 tips for productivity is I read it on Kindle. I know it's also available in paperback and I'm interested. What was kind of the instigator for which came first you writing and then the productivity emphasis, or did you already have this productivity interest in your life and what's the timeline here?
2: Well, the timeline is the writing came first. I knew when I was 14 that I wanted to be a writer. There was a lot of things around that, uh, a a lot of fear around that that made me go for a law degree, an MBA, and a pretty successful career in sales. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my passion is to write. Aside of that, I've been studying productivity, I think, for over the last 10 years, what I have discovered is that most of the productivity books talk about saving hours, how you're going to save an hour here, an hour there, two hours a week, seven hours a month. And in my experience, it's not on the hours you save, but in the minutes, that adds up. My experience shows that If instead of focus on saving hours, you focus on saving minutes over the end of the week, you will save much more than if you get rid of a couple of big rocks. The second thing is in productivity, a lot of the books towards productivity goes to two markets. Goes to the executive, okay, who has help and can delegate and all those things. Or goes to and goes specifically on those terms to the stay-at-home person, mother or father, it doesn't matter. But and there is a huge middle that need to adapt from one place or the other one, but there is really nothing written for them. And I live on that middle for many years. And that was part of the of the reason I discovered that was saving those minutes and those little tricks what exactly allowed me to be so effective. On that middle for college in some way, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and and that's true. I mean, and, and honestly, that's kind of where I try to go with this show is not just you know the executive person who's you know in middle management or upper management and or being managed by people in their day job, but also uh, the flip side of that, the people that are at home or stay at home people, whether they're entrepreneurial in their home life or their stay at home uh, family, you know, fa- father or mother or parenting type stuff, but. Talk to me a little bit more. What's that middle ground? Who is that person?
2: The, the person in between, it's really, the, it's really almost everybody. The person who can really have all their life managed, okay, or have enough help to be managed, it is really a minority. That is, interestingly enough, the part of the reason the time management is directed to this person is because in many huge organizations, these are the people who will make the decision. Hire. I was talking to to somebody yesterday. A lot of these books are designed so you can get the other services of the business, so you can get the coaching, so you can get... And there is nothing wrong there, but that's not the reality for most people. Most people don't have a team of staff that they can delegate. And when you go to the other side, okay, that is the person who work at home, who stay at home, and is doing their business at home, and doesn't matter if their business is just taking care of the family, that, in my opinion, is a hardest, harder job than go to work, but that person also don't have anybody, because you would love to delegate certain things to your toddler, but the reality mm-hmm. is you are going to do it anyway, Yeah. And you ask them for help, even that you know that that's going to take you 10 more or 15 more minutes so they can learn it and get the skills. But is that people the one that run out of air and run out of time? And it is that people that is me, that is you who need to learn how to save those minutes so they can have time for themselves. And you need to save it with that purpose. You need to find out what are you going to do with that time. That, that I will say, is one of the most common mistakes people make in productivity in general. You discover how to save an hour and you don't have a clue what you're going to do with that hour. Mm. And then what happens is you fill it up with less of what you want, most likely.
1: Yeah. In other words, you know, you've, you've made all this time, you got your stuff done, you've you've used some tips and some tricks or or whatever you want to call those, just using your time smarter and wiser to where you're getting things done and, and doing it faster and getting it all done. And then suddenly you've got this extra time, but then you squander it watching TV.
2: Well, sometimes you're watching something. TV. Sometimes it's adding more things to the list. Oh, Yeah. Well, now, you know, before I could handle 10 things a week, but now that I'm more effective, I can handle 20. Yoo-hoo! But when you see those 20 things in detail, mm-hmm. they don't take you closer to your goals.
1: That's true, because you could even add more worthwhile things in. But who says you need to add, you know, say you've gotten your 10 done and, and you, instead of adding 10 more to be 20, you add only two. But you're very decisive about which two you pick, maybe.
2: That's correct. I during during years I told you I was working on sales for many years, and I was handling the Americas from Canada to Argentina. Okay. It was a really demanding hour because of the time. I live in California, but when it was six a.m. in California, okay, you, your difference in time with Argentina is four hours. It's ten a.m. for them, so they are right in the middle of their day, okay. And when six p.m. comes to California people 6 p.m. is continue working, so it was really a 12-14 hour day. Mm. And and I set the rule that as soon as I get at home, and until my daughter goes to sleep, my phone was off. And at the beginning, it was a really tough thing for people. What do you mean we cannot contact you after 6:30? Sorry, you can call me again at 10. And I will. We will have any conversation you want, or you can call me. Before 6 a.m. and you will, and I will have any conversation you want. But between 7 and 10, my phone is off. That's the time I can talk to my wife. That's the time I can enjoy my daughter. And it is those things, the things we don't do. We find how we're going to find this new hour. But then you get the hour and let it go wild. Mm-hmm. It is the same reason why people go to work and suddenly a meeting gets canceled and they have an hour of white space in their calendar and what they do they waste it they waste it not to be mean they waste it for two reasons number one you're tired and number two you have no plan b
1: yeah
2: you need to plan when you see your list of actions you need to know what you're going to do and you need to know what you're going to do if everything goes wrong and most people have no clue
1: yeah, I mean, I'll admit, I don't have a backup plan for something I may do instead if a meeting suddenly doesn't happen.
2: And and what happens is then you go to your system and I start looking to see what you can move forward. What if instead of that in the morning when you see your calendar and you see, well, great, I have all these meetings. Okay, well, this is what I'm planning for the day. What if one of these meetings gets canceled? Well, if a meeting gets canceled, that means I will get 45 minutes of focus time because nobody, everybody will think I'm in a meeting, so nobody will come and interrupt me. Well, why you don't pick something that will require that kind of focus of attention and put it on the bottom of your list? And if that meeting gets canceled, hey, you know exactly where you are going, so you don't need to think. The problem is, when you are going 3,000 miles per hour, you can't think. Uh, I think it's Mario Andretti who said that if you have time to think, you're not going fast enough. And it is exactly like that. When you are, it's 10 a.m. and you're working and you're running, you don't have time to think, sorry, if I, if you and I will have canceled this meeting right now, okay, before we start, and you discover you have 45 minutes on your calendar, most people will freeze. Why? Because, well, I have 45 minutes. And then instead of see as a window of opportunity. So if you get those 45 minutes, but you don't know what you're going to do with them, then you just grab the low-hanging fruit. I mention in my book that people need to plan for focus time, and most people don't. If you see most people's calendar, and you ask them, when are you going to get focus time? When are you going to shut up the world and work for 45 minutes? Most people don't have that on their calendar. And then they wonder why they work at 9 p.m. at home. And I understand there are many places where that is impossible. But then you need to get creative. I wake up every day at 4 in the morning because I discover that my time to focus, concentration, is between 4.30 and 6.30. And before you wonder, I always thought I was a night owl. I always strive to work at night but the problem is the next day I was miserable now I work from 4.30 to 6.37 and it's incredible most days honestly that's when I do most of my Uh work (laughs) because after that I get a toddler running around and it's difficult but most people don't plan for that and then they wonder why they are stressed out people don't plan for family time and we don't plan period and We think we we organize and we have a great list of next actions, but we never go to the next step that is figured out when are you going to spend time taking care of all those things.
1: Twenty-five tips for productivity. If there were, say, one most impactful tip that's in that book for you, what would that be, and why?
2: Well, my favorite tip that I don't know if counts as the most impactful, but my favorite tip is the one uh, that I call the two tails or the two t- the tail of the two browsers. Um, I think it was two thousand. Six when I transitioned to handle the Americas, and I was handling Amazon.com, TigerDirect, Neohack, uh, NCIX in Canada, and a bunch of accounts in Latin America. What that means is basically 98% of my life was on a browser. I was checking prices, promotions, campaigns. The problem with that was... Browser was what everybody used to waste time. You know, there was also Facebook, Twitter, the Google Reader, and many other things. And suddenly I noticed that I was getting behind and behind and behind and stressed out and couldn't figure it out why, because I was spending an incredible amount of hours online. So I start looking into patterns. And I think I used at that time a software called, my memory serves, called Rescue Time. And during rescue time I discovered that I was wasting a lot of time. So I needed a solution. Of course going to the, not going to the internet wasn't an option uh, for the characteristics of the job. So what I did was I download Google Chrome and set up a simple rule. If it's work related, you can only do it in Google Chrome. If it's play, you can do it in Safari. That little trick changed everything. I never said you cannot fool around. I never said you cannot go to Google Reader. I never said you cannot visit forums. I only said if you are going to, you need to do it in Safari. What that allows me to do is when I had Google Chrome, I was working all the time. And if for any reason I see something and open it that wasn't, for work, I could immediately get my attention and say, "That's fine." Copy the link and go back to Safari. But that little conscious step has always been enough for me to bring back consciousness and decide if it's worth it or not. Yeah. To go and get distracted.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, and that's one of the things that I'm actually doing. I'm, I'm using Firefox for work and Chrome for my personal.
2: The problem is you, are, you don't get distracted in a conscious way. You just get distracted. Okay? You are thinking. You're, again, you're going 3,000 miles per hour. You're not thinking. So you open that little link that your friend sent that sounds like a wonderful article, and you read, and there's another link, and the next thing you know is 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. When you force yourself to think for a second, and that is as simple as change the browser, it's enough for you to say, mm, let me write it down and I go back later. Or, you know what? I'm tired. Let's do it. And you are okay. But then that step is the difference between wasting 20 minutes consciously or not.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and I think that's one of the things that people don't notice is just how quickly – like, for example, if you if you've ever heard of the, um, uh, the latte tax, I think is what some people have referred it to, is where – like people that go in and get their daily Starbucks that, you know, if seven days a week you're paying five bucks, you've paid $35 in a week for hmm. coffee. And that suddenly if you go back and look, look at your monthly budget, and I've been guilty of this, um suddenly, you know, 35 times four and you've got, you know, $150 on average in a month, $150 on coffee? Really? That's what I spent? But it's that same – principle you know you don't notice how small wasted things whether it's money or time or whatever other resource how much they add up until you actually add them up
2: and and that is exactly what i was saying at the beginning of our conversation about saving minutes it applies exactly to that you think oh same as in money oh i'm going to save on this big item but wait if you start looking at the smaller items, at the end of the day, you are going to save much, much money than if you look looking for one big item. Because you may have one or two big items, but you have maybe 30 or 40 small ones.
1: Yeah. And, and to be honest, I think this somewhat trails into or transitions into your new book called No. What was the inspiration for this book? What, what made you think to sit and write this?
2: And I said this in the book, people think that there is one no, and it's absolute, and and it's not. There is many nos. I'm able to identify in the book three nos that are really important, that I what I call the no that you should stop using, and that's the no that you said to your family and to your close friends and to the people you love, because they tend to be usually the first people who get no. You know, can you come to the baseball game? No. Can you go to the ballot wrestle? No. Why? Because you're saying yes to the people. You should stop saying yes most of the time. And those two no's are everywhere in the literature, okay? You go to the store or Amazon or Apple, iBooks or Cobo and look for parenting books and they will you will find millions of books about that no. Go to the productivity section, and you're going to find many no's on that you say to others in order to be able to accomplish your things. The interesting thing is not many people talk about saying no to yourself. And in my experience, that is really the hardest thing to do. I I have said for for a long time, that people think that time is their biggest asset, and it is not. Your biggest asset is really focus and concentration. If you think about it, we all have the same amount of time. Is The question is how you are going to use it. And you are only using time really effectively when you can focus and concentrate. And the only way you are going to start doing that better is... If you learn how to say no, and especially how you say no to yourself, that is a really big, big challenge. The problem is, say no is a muscle. Okay? And like any other muscle, if you don't exercise, you don't have it as strong. And if you don't exercise it and you don't have it as strong, you don't know when to use it appropriately. It is as simple as that. And that is the premise of the book. It's a really short book, but... But it shows you how poorly we use the no, at least on the feedback I've been getting from the book. It shows how how poorly we use no towards ourselves, especially, and therefore towards the people we love and the rest of the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, as I was reading it, it really brought out all the different... I mean, if, when, you're, when you're going through the different no's, it's not something I'd actually ever thought about. Like at first, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, oh, this is very much about the the, the principle of the, the opportunity cost, which boiled it down just says you can't say yes to everything. You have to say no to something. Like for right now, like I'm talking to you. I can't be talking to someone else at the same time. Or if I'm saying yes to one thing, then that's filled that time slot, time and space, and I don't have that opportunity again uh, ever. So it's it's that important that you choose what you're going to spend your time on, and, or your resources, or et cetera, et cetera. That's what they they call in in business the opportunity cost. And so, as I was reading the book, which is a short read and, and very, I really enjoyed that. The fact is is that you you end up reading through it. I read in, I read it in under an hour straight through, and realized when I was done, I wanted to read it again, and I and I will read it again, but. Point I'm trying to get to is is I had not thought about the the nuances of the different no's and what those mean in terms of then being able to say when you say those no's and what the opposite yeses can be then for those things.
2: That's quite interesting. And do you know how what has been the most common solution in our society? Multitasking?
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly
2: multitasking has been proved to be awful in
1: Uh, most cases. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I would say multitasking is almost like saying maybe to everything at once and then doing none of it well.
2: That's correct. That is correct. But that's usually what happens. People then go and multitask because, well, I say yes, and now what I'm going to do. And it is hard to exercise your muscle of no, especially because fear... You know, fear is something that is real for the person who is having it, okay? I can tell you right now that I suffer from vertigo. And you may say, vertigo, that's, I don't know, that's not really real. Well, for me, it is, okay? <laughs> and when I'm high, it is real. But, and fear is exactly like that. It doesn't matter what it is. So when you're afraid that people think that you are not capable because you're going to say no, then you tend to say yes to a lot of things that you shouldn't. And as I said, when I begin talking about the book, the problem is you say yes to these people and you say no to everybody else, especially your family they, and yourself. You know It is wrong, or I believe it's wrong, and mm-hmm. that's the reason you should learn how to handle it.
1: Was there any particular inspiration for this topic and, and for this – was it something that just had been on your mind a lot? Why, why is this book – actually, you, did, you, did you decide to just break out and say, OK, here's a specific principle and I'm going to write a shorter book focused specifically on that?
2: As I told you, I'm passionate to writing and there are certain principles in writing that I do not believe – uh, one of them is how long a book should be, okay? I think the traditional publishing industry said, well, a novella need to be more than 25,000 words, and a novel need to be 50, and if you want to go for a nonfiction book, you need to write at least 80,000 words. That's fine and then, and everybody can, or well, I'm guessing many writers can, the problem is, in my opinion, that's an insult to the, writer, to the reader. I love to read. And as a reader, you can tell when the writer just put a chapter because he needed to make 1,000 more pages, 1,000 more words, and when a chapter is there because he really meant it. And that's one thing that I've been fighting since I began writing. I'm not going to, to go to those rules. If a book is 6,000 words, because that's the specific that tells to explain it, it is 6,000 words. I'm not going to try to make it 60,000 because, again, I believe that's an insult to the reader. And I love to read. And if you think about it, how many books have you read that really in the half of the book, if they will have stopped it there, the book will have been fantastic. Mm, yeah, I I love the story uh, of Jason Frit. When he wrote uh, Rework, they wrote the draft and they cut half of it because he wanted the book to be really what he wanted to say and not all the fat that needed to be around. In order to do that, he well, he went with as a creative and that nothing less to expect of him, but and he go and get this incredible guy called Mike Rohn to do the images. And the book ended up incredible. But that same book, if he will have followed the rules and add all the fat, so he needed to make it on the length, the publisher we're asking, will have not been the same book. And, and I believe it's a great principle to follow as a writer. This book, as you said, yeah, you can read it in an hour. It's a book to be read in an hour with a big cup of coffee. Could I have made that book into two hundred pages? The answer is yes. Could the book will have been the same if will have been two hundred pages? The answer is no. That I appreciate that you mentioned that you want to read the book a second time. That is a bigger price than anything else. If that book will have been two hundred pages. Okay, The only way to make that is adding a lot of emptiness that will have killed what the book does.
1: And honestly, you actually said no to it. (laughs) So the the irony there.
2: I, I did. I say no to anything that I did not believe in the book. It is the same thing, 25 Tips for Productivity is 150 pages. And it is not because I could not make them longer. I made a huge effort after it was done to cut, to make it... So the stories that were were really relevant and not just stories to have stories.
1: I'll honestly say this. I feel like I almost like the shorter one better. I mean, they're both great. <laughs> I'm just saying that like <laughs> I, reading No really sparked something in my mind that just said, I wonder if this is some kind of new – I think we're seeing this already and this is a slight tangent. But I think we're seeing this already and I'd love to hear maybe your – perspective of this is do you think that you know ebooks and you know lower pricing and maybe smaller book sizes is now a, a thing that that makes a lot more sense for people to do you don't have to write you know a huge book I'm, i mean i just read uh and i'm rereading now um a previous interview e on the show andy traub is about to launch or has by the time this is published uh Early to Rise, which is a book all about just practicing it, – it teaches you how to do the hard work of practicing to get up early and, and get that discipline in. And so it's one simple thing. I mean that's – again, that's probably about the same size as no and it's worth every penny. And so it's one of those things where it's like I would encourage people to get both those books, especially because you can reread them so easily and really get the gist of it the first time and then really soak in – and ponder it, you know, the second or third time or so on. So what do you think? I mean, is, is, how, your your experience with publishing on Kindle, is that?
2: Well, both books are, are available in everywhere. Paperback as yeah. well as Kindle, Sony, Kobo, um, Apple. And the, I think what has changed is the traditional model, okay, who is being shaked right mm-hmm. now, in order to make it, worth it in their eyes. The books need to be a certain size, certain, so that you can get attention when people walk into the bookstores. The reality is most people don't walk into the bookstores these days. Right. Okay, The big bookstore here in the United States, it's struggling. And it's struggling because they're trying to do anything except selling books, but that's a different issue. Okay, If you walk today into a Barnes & Novels, they have more of other... Stuff that you don't care than books. And we go again back to what you said about multitasking. You know, you're doing a little bit of everything, but you're not doing anything well. And that's a little bit of what's happening with Barnes & Novels. And I wonder why they don't have yet an espresso machine in every store. So you have available every book in existence. You just need to walk in and print it. And I don't understand why they have not done that. I'm guessing they're waiting to be bankrupt before they do it. But, but that change of the model it's exactly what is allowing now writers to take the fat out. Okay? If, if Andy will have got that book 10 years ago and tried to get it published, Okay? They will have looked look at that and say, nobody's going to publish that. This yeah. takes more time and effort and cost than what you're going to make in money, bye-bye. And if you think about it, if you go to, again, productivity books, even short books in general, short books has had the hardest time to get published. If you get, for example, The Little Prince, The Little Prince was so published. Why? Because nobody wanted to publish a book so short. Same thing with... Many, many, many books in productivity because if you get a short book, nobody wants to publish that because we need to have an X amount of pages to make it worth. What that forced many people was, or to stop writing the book because they were not going to put the fat, or or put an or put appendix to the thing so you get to the to the pages count that you need to. And what's happening now? Its writers can go and say. You don't want to publish? Fine. I go Amazon and do it. I go by myself and do it uh, by myself. Tim Ferris is an excellent example of that. Tim Ferris, when New York bestseller with his first two books, The Four Hour Week and The Four Hour Body, and when came the time to write his third book, uh, that is fantastic. He wanted to have images, and the story goes into the traditional publishing house is so nobody's going to buy a book with that many images. That's going to be insanely costly to produce. And they say no. And Amazon said, that's a book you want to do, let's go. The book, the printed version, it's almost a coffee table book. <laughs> the images are gorgeous. But traditional publishing was afraid of a book like that. Yeah. And going back to my comment on Barnes & Nobles, they decide to not get the book. Sorry, you're, you're in the business of selling books. You need to have any book that goes in the market. <laughs> yes. my opinion at least.
1: Yeah, and that's that's very interesting. I mean, that's one of those things. So I I just am thinking in terms of just the whole idea of, I mean, t- touching back on you know saying no and the opportunity cost idea that all authors now that are able to write shorter, more concise books are going to be the ones who rise to the top because these huge or at least you know books that have lots of fat where it's like yeah you've got one point and you're making it over and over and over in your book we've i mean we've all read those kind of books before it's a book on leadership or productivity or something and it just keeps hammering the point home all the way through and that's fine but you know three or four of those chapters pulled would have made that book just Insanely sharp and much more usable in my mind. I've had that happen, so I really appreciated No being so concise. Honestly,
2: and if you think about it, it's the same revolution we saw with music in early two thousands. Right. What was before before the MP three? What an artist do was an album, and they tried that the songs match with the topic of the album. When you could go and buy one song the album per se changed because now you could get the good song or the two good songs or the five good songs and the story of how you made an album changed forever and I think it's exactly the same. Yeah. Now you are going to see in the years to come many more writers doing short books and doing things that are shorter that, that are to the point that really are going to allow you to do exactly what you describe it Read it once, enjoy it, go again and soak into the content. And the only reason you're going to do that is because you are getting good content all the way through. Otherwise, if you all that you're going to get is fat, the book is not going to go.
1: So, as we're nearing the end of our time here, I wanted to make sure I ask you this question that I ask everybody, which is. In an ideal world, how do you start your day? I know you already touched on you're getting up at 4 a.m. Can you tell me how, when you wake up, what's your plan for that time?
2: Of course. And, and before I tell you that, I, I I will say that in order to have the ideal day, you need to plan it. And part of the reason I wake up at 4 in the morning is so I have more perfect days than not. In the You know, in, in one of those awful days... I had already two hours of productive work. (laughs) Nice. So if the day is awful and the only thing I could get was two hours of productive work, well, I'm already ahead of a lot of people. Yeah. But my perfect day starts, as I said, four in the morning. I shower, get quick breakfast, and I spend the next 10 minutes in front of a white screen. And I write everything that is on my head. Doesn't matter if it's in my system or not. Everything that I can think goes into that piece of paper or or the screen. i I do it in the iPad, but and I type everything that gets into my head until it gets empty. Doesn't matter if it's I know it's in the system. doesn't matter if it's the most important project I have. you know at uh, the time we were recording this, I'm finishing on the launch of the new book. so of course, many of the things that came out this morning are related to the book but doesn't matter i pulled them out and the reason is that list is what your attention where your attention is we tend to be bogged down for dumb things because we don't give them the importance they have and yes sometimes they are dumb and unimportant things but if you have done this exercise and for the 10 day in a row or the third day in a row, you have read, I don't know, get a new ball for for the garage. Get a new ball for the garage is probably not important. Probably you have many other things on your list that are way more important. But you know what? That's where your mind is getting, is deviating the attention. So if you are noticing those things, they're coming and coming and coming, get rid of them. Do them, even if they are the most mundane an irrelevant and non-important thing on your list. Because what you are not consciously noticing is that that's where your attention is. And it's a quick exercise. You go, open the page, you know, write until, what is your attention? It's easy. You know, think what you're thinking right now. Put it down. And as soon as you do that, then pay attention to that for a second. There are things that you're going to discover that are not in your system. Add them. But there are things that you're going to discover that are so absurd that are getting your attention that really get rid of them. Because then you are going to free up all that attention to what is really important to you. So I said already, and, and I believe this is important, you know, it's focus and concentration, your biggest asset, not time. We all have the same amount of time.
1: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, our time has come to an end. And so I'd love, I'm, I'm going to have links to all the books in the show notes for this episode, but also links to where people can find you online. Is there any particular place you prefer people connect with you?
2: Um, I love Twitter uh, and I'm at a peanut at Twitter. I also have a blog, augustiopinot.com. And on 2013, launching a new project. That is called Prod 365, and the site is prod365.com, where I'm leaving a short tip for every day of the year from January 1st to December 31st. It's a short tip of something that can help you improve.
1: That sounds and like a really exciting project. I'll be checking that I out think for that's
2: sure. All the places where I tend to.
1: Well, Augusto, thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you very much for having me, Eric. It was a really, really fun show.
1: Well, that wraps up another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Again, thank you to Augusto for stopping by and talking with me about No. You can follow him at all the links that we gave and check his stuff out on the show notes for this episode, which you can find at beyondthetodolist.com slash 19, beyondthetodolist.com slash 19 slash 19 is where you'll find the links to all Augusto's books as well as his Twitter account and other ways to connect with him and myself and again if you're enjoying this show share it with your friends on Twitter or Facebook you can follow me on Twitter for example E-R-I-K the letter J F-I-S-H-E-R tweet me and let me know you listened to this episode and let me and Augusto know that you got something out of it
0: And we'll see you next time.
1: Beyond the To Do List is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Find more great podcasts like How to Podcast, Clean Comedy, Once Upon a Time, Christian Worldview, and more at noodle.mx. Think, laugh, and succeed by subscribing to our podcasts at noodle.mx.